It is Halloween. Happy Halloween. Thanks, man. To you too. Thank you. Of all of your sort of cultural consumption yeah. over the course of your life, what's been your favorite like Halloween mix-up? TV shows? Well, probably The Simpsons Halloween special. That's true. I mean, that's a bit... The, ha- the bit cliche, House of Horrors or whatever. Yeah. Treehouse of Horror. But what about Fish? Because I know you... The, don't Fish, you're one of your favorite bands. Oh, I see you're getting that. Yeah. Yeah. Fish, I do like Fish. Yeah. Um, P-H-I-S-H. P-H-I-S-H. Uh, yeah, so Fish do their annual Halloween um, musical costume where they perform an entire set as another band. Now, not in physical costume. They just play an entire set as another band. Play the other band's music. They play the other band's music. That's The other band's catalog. I love it. Including a band last year that didn't exist. Do the people know going into the no. concert who they're no, going no, to No, no, no one knows till the first song comes on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can hear him like playing pretty fly for a white guy and everyone's like, really? Dude, it's like two I'm days away. Great, I'm though. so excited. You know Homestar Runner? I know of it. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing cartoon, well, internet cartoon. And they used to every Halloween dress all of the characters up in a different costume. And at the end, they'd reveal who it was. But they'd always be really interesting costumes mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the steward from Flying High or something like that. Like oh, yeah. re- really yeah, yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of niche cultural That's references. Good. Some yeah. of them would be obvious and some of them you'd be like, who? Pom Pom is like someone. So in that vein, we got a little something planned. Uh-huh. We're going to do an entire episode of Jeremy's Iron as... In, in pod costume. In pod costume. That's right. Mm-hmm. One of our favorite uh, podcasts, Very Bad Wizards. What do they do? They, they kind of do like an ethics... Science, science oh, and ethics, it's, well, and it's, philosophy, it's, it's philosophy and uh, psychology. Yep. we're going to do soft sciences. We're going to do an episode of Very Bad Wizards, which I'm going to call quite wittily, "Very Bad, Very Bad Wizards." As in, we're, we're, yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay, yeah. sweet. That's yeah. We're basically going to be doing the episode note for note, which was episode 174. More Chang for your buck. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, mm-hmm. where they review a particularly interesting short story by someone called Ted Chang. We're going to talk about the multiverse. Yep. We're also going to talk about people of high moral virtue and how they're potentially not funny, well, which is not. a well, well. There's a particular science paper that that Dave and um, Tamla review, and we're going to review it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a <laughs> it's a cover band situation. It's a cover podcast, and we really we both really independently love the podcast. So it's a tribute in a way as it's well. It's a tribute. Um, so I think without further ado, let's just see how this goes. Yep, get ready for uh, very bad, very bad, bad wizards. wizards. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, now like in it. Well, Dave. <laughs> yes, good. Okay, I'm Dave. Joker came out a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, how many people have you killed? <laughs> Don't. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to put on. I'm not going to put in Dave's voice. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But I've read enough about it, mm-hmm. so I feel like I have. Okay. I've read enough of the. Um, I guess the response around developing sympathies have for you a got, maligned character. Have you got reservations about that? I do. Am I allowed to? Because I know, I got a feeling you're going to tell me that you're cool with violence in movies and you're cool with developing sympathy for someone who then becomes a violent criminal, right? Yeah, sure. Because it's a movie. It's yeah. all, you know, in the world of fiction. Well, let me go a step further. It's not because it's a movie. It's because, if anything, you have to have some sympathy for people who do bad things. There must be some part of even the worst people's lives that must be, must be able to squeeze out a bit of sympathy from you or be humorous, or be anything that's not evil. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. Right. All right. Developing sympathy for people who have, you know, been guilty of minor misdemeanors, right? Sure. I think that's important because you don't want to cast someone out of society for stealing something or for, you know, minor shit. Well, mm-hmm. but being the Joker and the level of destruction that the Joker causes, I don't know if there's much sympathy needed for those kinds of people. I don't, I don't know how much it benefits society to develop sympathy for someone who is a mass murderer, right? Uh, we can understand where they came from. That's yeah. different to developing sympathy for them. Well, you don't have to have sympathy for the end result or what they did, but you can have sympathy for parts of their lives. 
in many situations, someone's actions are going to be molded by their upbringing, their genetics. I mean, if you if you're even slightly determinist, yeah, right, yeah, there's going to be elements that are outside that person's control that that culminated in their final act, and you can have sympathy for those elements in their life if if need be. Don't you think? Yeah, but I think look, is it dangerous? Do, do we have to pre- pretend that these people are evil automatons that they're like terminators sent to destroy us and there's nothing else to them? I mean, that's completely impractical. In fact, that goes against any ideas we might have towards rehabilitating people from these actions. Sure, sure. that's my issue that I brought up before was on the idea of rehabilitation, but I don't think people care to rehabilitate someone that's gone on a murderous rampage. I think particularly in America, right? Well, okay, in the, in the context of the Joker, at very least, we have a man who is suffering from mental illness, yep. who is heavily medicated. Mm-hmm. At one point in the movie, he goes off of his medications. He appears to be the victim of a of a support system that's let him down. Yeah. Right, so the, the mental health institution in Gotham sort of crumbles around the guy, and he's sort of left, um, I guess, no, to I his own that. devices. But so the question is... In that context, right, the idea is that, yeah, maybe this is a, a tale of mental health management gone wrong mm. or mental health support gone wrong. And you have to have sympathy for that system and how it broke down. Uh, if you can't rehabilitate him, maybe you can rehabilitate or prehabilitate the people who this might happen to otherwise. Mm. And maybe, obviously, this is a film, so the idea of murder is a bit allegorical for a general downfall mm. of somebody. But you can look at it that way. We're not having sympathy for his murders. We're having sympathy for the man they committed a murder. Okay. All right. That's my feeling Look, about it. I got nothing more to say about it, but um, do I need to see it? Is it something I should nope. see? Really? I don't think it was very good. Okay. I think superficially it felt very good at the time. It had sort of the auspices of a good film. Oh, good word. And then, yeah. And then upon reflection, it has just not aged well for me at all. It's kind of... Wait, did you say it's not aged well? Yeah. I saw it two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's so... What? September. By the time I got home, it hadn't aged well. Yeah, right. <laughs> in my mind. It's like the cottage cheese of movies, right? Well, no, because I would enjoy cottage cheese. I <laughs> wouldn't more, look for forward to, I would look forward to cottage cheese. I would enjoy it while I was eating it. I like I was trying to think of something that goes off really quickly and cottage cheese came to my my head. Doesn't it, isn't it by definition <laughs> I don't know. already off? I won't eat it. I know. Soured cream? Cottage cheese? No thanks, man. <laughs> Let's don't, try, don't try to pass off your old dairy products to me under a new name. <laughs> Shall we talk some science? Yep. Let's do that. We're going to talk about... We'll have a little break and then we're going to talk about uh, the ability of people with high moral standing, moral mm. virtue, to be funny. Or should I say, the inability. You should say that. Science coming up. <laughs> Hit us with your science. Although, I know that um, Very Bad Wizards uh, definitely do. They plug a few things. You know. No, do we, they? Yeah, they do. Like, they do. Uh, what are they um, giving ads for? Give Well. They love Give Well. So who are we going to plug today? Good question. What do we love? I'm looking around room. <laughs> 0.0% alcohol. If we do. That's what we... Yeah, beers. So we can do a shout out to... Uh, Heineken 0.0. Mm, delicious. Also Dutch. Very good. <laughs> Heineken's going to sponsor our WIM episode. I'm in the pocket of Big Orange, by the way. <laughs> You're a big, big orange. Yeah. You're a, uh, yeah, a Dutch shill. <laughs> yeah. Wait. I just can't. I've got something for you. Oh, do you? Oh, no way. Do you know what they are? Yeah, ma'am. Dutch Isle of Woolies. These biscuits, they're... Yeah, they're called... Um, speculos. Speculos. Yeah. Enjoying a speculos biscuit. Oh, there you man. go. Big orange. It's like all my Sinterklaas come at once. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this uh, piece of science, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Now, it was a paper, a scientific paper that is entitled, Why So Serious? Question mark. A Laboratory and Field Investigation of the Link Between Morality and Humor by Ying et al. He sounds funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, doesn't it? This is the, the the funny thing about this paper is that it goes into depth about like humor, mm-hmm. and I think there's one thing we can all appreciate: it's that <laughs> dissecting humor is the least funny thing you could possibly do. And quite clearly, the authors of this paper are taking the funny out of any possible situation. I've ever. always found it funny to discuss breaking down humor. Okay, yeah. So our friend Will and I had this old joke going back like 20 years now about dissecting comedy down to like its plays the way like you dissect like a, a magic trick down oh, yeah. to all of its moves yeah 
and having different names for different like you know forms of comedy like the certain like you know like like the flop or the return or the river or like things like you'd have like that which would be like this is this is the structure of a joke and the anatomy of sort of humor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the turn Ooh. yeah exactly where it's you know which is a bit like you know the prestige and the magic trick and I all these kinds of prestige, things yeah. yeah and so i do find it kind of funny to to think about being able to break humor down into something that's scientific. Well, what, what this paper does do is it talks about various theories behind humor. And mm-hmm. this is something that we could potentially take a whole episode to look into at a so later So you're day. saying they're just theories. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's the <laughs> theorem. Yeah, <laughs> It takes a look into some of these theories around humor, including theory of relief and superiority and also incongruity. Mm-hmm. These are three separate theories as to what might be you know explanations for humor Mm -hmm. so for example um relief you know your life sucks relief allows you to look at something that's particularly upsetting in a funny way and that allows this outpouring of something right so on on well this gets us back to the joker one of the one of the jokes he has as the joker is i hope that my life makes more sense oh my death makes more sense than my my life life. yeah but sense with a c okay Uh, that's a bit of that yeah uh, superiority is another one where you laugh at other people's misfortune because it makes you feel like, oh, you're not the one falling over onto their face. And so we can laugh at them mm-hmm. and incongruity as well, which is fairly self-explanatory as it mm-hmm. seems like completely incongruous to your normal situation. But it comes up with this interesting um, statement right at the beginning, which is putting all those three theories together, unintentionally killing a loved one would be incongruous assert superiority and release repressed aggressive tension <laughs> but is unlikely to be funny <laughs> i love that but that is very funny <laughs> yeah so jokes about killing your wife are funny are funny it yeah. turns out well here's okay so here's the thing you've, you've made a good segue oh. right because <laughs> that's, that's going to age poorly what they talk about <laughs> is a new theory beyond that yeah many decades afterwards is called the benign violation theory mm-hmm. right tell me about it the idea that there are these moral standards that we have or things that we accept about our world. Yeah. And when something violates those, as long as it violates it in a benign way or violates a sort of benign principle that we hold, yeah. we can find that funny because it doesn't threaten our entire selves, right? So like... Like a lion uh, jumping at you from behind a cage. No, not so benign. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite threatening. No, but it's benign because he's behind a cage. Right, but but for example, if I was to dress up as a lion and scare you from behind, right? That you know, threat, I always find a funny you do that yeah. <laughs> every time. Yeah, the irony being, I only have a gorilla suit, but still, <laughs> you do. I do. The feeling you get when you get surprised by the lion and you realize it's not an actual lion. Yeah, it's a benign violation of your physical being and whatever, right? So you could potentially find that funny, right? Well, is that is that the sense of relief? Maybe, anyway. The benign violation theory one is, I guess, more to do with morals and stuff, right? So, like, like what about jokes about, well, this kind of goes back to that thing about killing someone's wife, right? Yeah, or jokes about race or jokes about, like... Jokes about rape. Well, yeah. People, I mean, that's, that's I mean people do, I mean, side, but, you, but people do make rape jokes and they laugh at rape jokes and whatever else. And that would go against almost everyone's... Well, here's the thing. For some people, that's not benign. And this is where the paper's going, right? Right. So the people that wouldn't laugh at a rape joke, Mm. and that's probably a large proportion of people, right? Sure. If you legitimately feel something that's threat, if you're threatened by that, you will find that not funny. Yeah. Because it's not benign. Mm -hmm. Hence, for rape, I think you can see a lot of people finding it not benign and therefore not finding it funny. Sure. But take it down a step or two from rape and you start talking about maybe like... Battery? Racism or something like... You know, just treating someone not very fairly or whatever, right? So say say I've, I've lent you some money and you pretend not to pay me back, right? Sure. There's scenarios where I might find that funny. I'll be like, okay, yeah, ha, ha, whatever, right? Yeah. But it's benign to me because realistically, like, you it's, know not it's not threatening me yeah. in any meaningful way, right? Yeah. But there's someone for whom the lending of money is such a moral virtue that if the pretending of not giving it back is no way is that going to be funny, right? So the more moral the more rigid virtue you have yeah. the less likely you are to find these violations benign mm-hmm. and that's what this paper is getting at right yeah. so people who are the most moral quote unquote are going to find less things funny and this comes through in that dave Chappelle special right sure so the dave dave Chappelle special is touching on a lot of these taboos right pretty well, that's, much well that's it, he talks about 
He talks about rape. He talks about yeah, uh, battery. He talks about racism. Yeah, he talks about all, I mean, everything. Not, Gays, just, not just in this special, but in all of his specials. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah, I see what you're saying. And, and there are people who find him hilariously funny. Yeah, and then the entire sort of left side of the spectrum when you're talking about people who are ultra certainly people who are ultra feminist will find him particularly not funny mm-hmm. I can definitely agree with it really. do you know any people who uh, who are both funny and of extremely high moral virtue it's a good question your local rabbi is he funny <laughs> <laughs> anyway have you got any particular thoughts around around the paper beyond that or uh not other than that I can't think of any people who are particularly religious and funny uh, but I wanted to talk about the particular theories around humor because I looked yep. up some other ones. There's there's one called the script based semantic theory of humor. Do you think comedians talk this way behind, like in the <laughs> green room? Good question. And so, so there's like prop comics, and you've got like you know you're like your piano comics or your your, your instrumentalist comics. Yeah. And then what was the last one you just said? Script based semantic theory of humor. Yeah. So someone would be like, I'm more of a script based semanticist. Yeah. <laughs> But that's basically, I'm bringing this up because the way this is described, you could just or call someone's it, like, oh, dude, I hate Carrot Top. He's just, prop comedy is so lame. Someone's like, yeah, and so is script-based semantics. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he hasn't even heard of the benign violation theory. <laughs> <laughs> he says, yeah, I, what I try and do is exploit the benign violation theory yeah. um, in my audience. <laughs> but this one is basically a fancy way of just saying puns. And the way right. it's described is... Basically, I don't know. Here's how puns are described in an official academic sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is what I was saying before, taking the fun out of anything, right? Yeah. To produce humor of a verbal joke, Raskin posits the following two, condi- two conditions must be met. One, the text is compatible fully or in part with two different, in square brackets, semantic scripts. Two, the two scripts with which the text is compatible are opposite. The two scripts with which the text is compatible are said to overlap fully or in part on this text. Humor is evoked when a trigger at the end of the joke, the punchline, causes the audience to abruptly shift its understanding from the primary or more obvious script to the secondary, opposing script. Yeah, right. And that's what I tell people all the time. And they tell me I'm always being too pedantic, you know, <laughs> yeah. or I'm nitpicking. And I mean, is it me? Yeah. I mean, come no, it's on. Not you. Funny's funny. And if it's not funny, it's not funny. And I don't want to have to break it down for people like that. Yeah. But oftentimes their puns are terrible. This is not science. It's black and white here, well, people. It is science. <laughs> it's black and white. So um, puns are really easy. But I wanted to tell you about a, a brand of humor or a theory of humor that I don't think rep- is represented in any of the theories I've seen. Yeah. And this is one that relates to a, a comic that we both enjoy, Fred Armiston. Yeah, big time. It is humor <laughs> as intelligence or elitism signaling. Mm-hmm. This is me inventing this. So this is virtue signaling. It is virtue signaling, right? Because right? I often find I will laugh at something that is particularly niche mm-hmm. or I find that I think other people won't get. Next, you'll be auditioning for the Oppression uh, Olympics, Dave Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. When you're in an audience and you hear something that's kind of this joke that is a bit, a bit intellectual, mm-hmm. you're almost... Compelled to compelled like Compelled to laugh because you're yeah. like, oh, I want to show everyone that I get the joke and I think it's funny. Sure. And Fred Armiston, when you're doing, he does a stand-up routine specifically for drummers, right? Yeah. Is it called stand-up for drummers? Is yeah. that what it's called? Stand-up comedy for drummers. Stand-up comedy for drummers. Yeah. And I think in that environment, I'm going to just laugh more because it's niche humor and I'm like, no one else, like drummers might get this or people involved in music are going to get this, but not everyone else is, right? So mm-hmm. I get to laugh and really enjoy my own like jerk off to myself inside right i think there's some kind of humor theory that can be based around that do you agree do you ever jerk off to yourself outside (laughs) (laughs) because you can get arrested for that well i've invented a new form of masturbation which is through humor (laughs) what do you reckon of that do you reckon that's a should i should i write a paper (laughs) i don't think you need to um because in, in a way it's actually the reverse of benign violation theory. It's the reverse of people who don't find things funny because they're signaling some kind of dissatisfaction with that moral transgression, mm-hmm. right? I'm finding it funny because again, I'm signaling something else, but I'm signaling positive, like my own intelligence or signaling my own cultural cachet or something, right? Yeah, sure. You're showing off. I'm showing, I'm showing off. Yeah. It's a showing off thing, right? Like people who uh, refuse to read Kindles because no one can know what they're reading. 
That's good. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Croc, our lawyer, told me once, like 10 years ago, I was reading my Kindle. He's like, well, what's the point of reading a Kindle? How will people know what good book I'm reading? <laughs> Amazing. And he'd say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and we're going to put all the books that you want people to know you've read. <laughs> and I was like, I haven't read any books. <laughs> <laughs> with a Kindle, for me, it's the opposite, right? It's a different investment. People assume I have hundreds of books they can't see. That's right. So they, they, they give you, you must read enough to have a Kindle. Yeah. So you must have tons of books. It's, it's like a secret library. Um, should we get into the meat, the beef? Let's do it. We're going to throw to uh, some, some beets. You want beef? Some of Pease's beets. Well, my beets. Your beets. I make beets. You could even let Pease have it for a second, right? No. Unless someone thinks that the beets that you play were made by Pease. Sorry, Pease. I make I make beats as well. He makes beats. I reckon they're better than yours. <laughs> Shit. You cut that out, right? I don't know. Do I? <laughs> you should cut that out. Uh, I didn't cut that out. I don't think that's very nice. <laughs> All right, here we go. If you can't say anything nice. Back. Who the podcast called if you can't say anything nice and then we just don't talk? <laughs> That's really good. It's going to be like a John Cage thing where it's just four and a half minutes of silence. We like ran into uh, our old friend a couple of days ago. How was uh-huh. that? Not much to say. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't say anything nice, <laughs> that's definitely going on the Ironworks podcast network. Hey, do you think so? I was, there's a lot of people who become YouTube stars, right? Musicians, I'm sure actors, whatever else. Do you think there's any like, YouTube news anchors, people who are out there who want to be news anchors, who are out there just reporting in the street. I saw a lady at the at the, bus, at the train station with like an iPhone on a tripod and she had a microphone. Yeah, and I don't know what she was saying. She was probably gonna sing or something stupid like that, which is a whole other conversation. But I was thinking maybe she's like a DIY grassroots news anchor and she's just at Newtown Station and she's like reporting live this is you know Sally Hemmings you know really reporting idea. on the thing and you do eventually you have your own like look at the Sal- JNN Sally News Network or this yeah. JNN JNN yeah J-I-N-N J-I-N-N Jeremy's Iron News Network and we go out there and we just like recover you know report live from Martin Place dude we can have a, at the end of our like following like Twitter and Twitter. we can be like and that's gin pretty good tasty gin yeah but you'd be out there with like you know following Twitter Leads and things like that, trying to follow all the, where, the, where the latest news is, mm. trying to beat the, the big, you know, the big three. And if you get four. enough correspondence in various countries, you can do it. So, look, if you're listening to us, if you want to join our news network, news network, yeah. Jeremy's Iron News Network, and you live in a different country, because we're we're going to need feet on the ground this is like, all over the world. This is going to be like Al Jazeera. It might be. Yeah, bigger. Al Jazeera. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Sure. Uh, yeah. Jeremy'sIron.com or Jeremy'sIronPodcast we at gmail. We need people in the field. .com. We need you. Yeah. Get your, yeah, dust off your iPhones, get your, your lapel mics. If you want to report for us from wherever, Basra. No, from Europe. Anywhere. We, we need weather reports. We need... Uh, Keto, Ecuador. If there's anyone listening from Ecuador, let me know. Is there a keto diet? <laughs> Let's fucking talk science. Let's talk about this book. Okay. I'm calling it. <laughs> Um, so what are we talking about? It's a short story. Yep. It's an amazing short story. Dude, it's so good. And the very bad wizards talked about the story. Yeah. It's basically got me, and I think you said the same thing. It's got me really back into the idea of fiction as it's a genre. Restored my, well, and the thing is, so, so did, um, Borges. So 
I hadn't read, well, I knew about Borges from our time in Argentina years ago, our independent time yeah. in Argentina years ago. Um, but I never actually read his stuff until the guys discussed it. And I was blown away. Firstly, short story is so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. It's like singles, you know? So we definitely should describe it. It's a 60-page story. Yeah. Well, his name is Ted Chang. Yeah. And he That's writes a, a bunch of um, short stories that are all very kind of like, not that I've read any uh, the others that, so far, but it's very kind of like techno, like technological and always kind of... Well, it's sci-fi. It's sci-fi. That's that's what I'm looking for. Sci-fi. There's a word for that already. Yeah. Sci-fi. Um, and he also deals with a lot of sort of uh, philosophical questions in his writing, right? Now, this particular one deals with concepts of the multiverse. Yeah. Split realities. Split realities. Do you want to give a brief rundown of the Yeah, plot? I think Tamlin Pease did it pretty well a while ago. Um, but to try and recap... In this world, there's these devices called prisms, which sort of operate on some sort of quantum duality, which allows you to turn one on to ask a question, a bit like a magic eight ball, right? Yep. But it's a binary magic eight ball. And either a red light or a blue light comes on, and that helps, and that dictates what choice you're going to make. You choose one of the options, and in that moment, a separate universe splits off from that reality. Yep. Uh, in which everything's exactly the same, except for the fact that you're, the other you made the other choice. Yep. Um, once that prism has been turned on and that future has been established, it can maintain contact for the duration of its pod, which is essentially its battery, mm -hmm. sort of, which could be days, weeks, months, years, depending on how it's used and how often it's used, whether it's used to transmit video or text. or It's like a, it's like a magic interdimensional cell phone. Right. So when we had the conversation <laughs> about starting a podcast yep. one year ago, if there was a part of me that was like, this is a stupid idea, yep. I would take the prism mm -hmm. and I would go, is this a stupid idea, prism? I, you know, no, you'd say, I'm going to, should I start a podcast? Should I start a podcast? Yes or no. And then it tells me, yes, I should. And this is the me that one year down the track has started the podcast. But there's another me in a parallel universe right that didn't start the podcast yeah and i can now talk contact, to talk to him be yeah. like how's it over there and they can be like how's it over here and anyone else can talk to anyone else in that dimension about any other thing that's been changed as a result of that that's right so you right. could actually if, if i was to give you the prism yeah you could talk to other j bob and find out what effect that had on my life yeah and what are the things i did or didn't choose and now in that world i may have done mostly the same things but i may have also made certain differences Differences I couldn't, or different choices that I can't quite fathom. Yeah. Um, and I think there's one bureau, so one one way these are used is to go out there and pull all of the possible prisms um, for a question like, in any of these other universes, if you didn't have the chance to actually use the prism in the first place to sort of bisect your realities, you could ask it, in any of these other worlds that have been opened up, have I done this, or has this happened in my life? Yeah. And then you can sort of do a comparative analysis of your lives. Yeah, and th this is what I really love about it. The way you've just described it there is perfect because it gives you this impression of there's this sample of yous and you're mm. just one observation. You're N equals one, right? Yeah. And there's this entire possible sample of Justin Bobbins or Justin yeah. Zeltzers or Dave Pizarro's or yeah. Tamla Summers's, right? Yeah. And in knowing, if you could get a picture of what else is happening to the other Justins, you get more information about yourself. Yourself. But only to a certain point. And they made a comment at one point that um, one guy said N only a month had passed since the prism had been turned on, which means he was the same me as me. Not enough time had passed with enough variables to make him a different me to me. Yeah. Because obviously, if you believe that we're the product of our environments, if your environment changes sufficiently, it will be a different you. And it will be no longer particularly applicable to the choices you would make now in your life. Yeah. So you need to have some differences, but not enough for them to become a different person. Yeah. Right? That's right. Which is pretty cool. That's amazing. Because, so, because otherwise, it's the same as having a twin, right? Which is an identical twin at birth. Should have the same rearing and the same genetics. Yeah. I mean, it's very crude facsimile, right? But the idea is that the older they get, the less they'll be able to compare their choices as surrogates for their own choices or lack thereof. That's right. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it just, it's crazy. It was so good. It was so good. Now, we're not going to be able to cover the entire plot, but essentially what happens is there's maybe seven or eight different characters intertwined in the story, and they each have some kind of connection to the prisms or trying to yeah. get in touch with their... And they all use them, they use them differently. They interpret them differently. That's right. But they're called uh, paraselves. So yourself in another dimension yeah. is called a paraself. So what we're going to do is not dissect the entire storylines completely, yeah. but some of them are going to bring up some interesting quandaries that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to 
particularly take a, take a statistical twist on it at some point. But okay. was there a particular character that you enjoyed yes. the most? And uh, look, I enjoyed them all immensely because he used each character to illustrate a completely different facet of what this brings up yeah. in the world. Uh, and I thought he covered like all the bases, anything that you could think of, a way you could exploit it, either for personal gain or I mean, I guess it's all for personal gain, really. Yeah. But different ways of whether it's like you know. Um, Material gain versus more existential gain, right? Yeah. And the, all the ways you can game it were included. But one guy, I think, struck me the most because it, I think it illustrated for me what the metaphor was with the prison more than anything else. Um, and that was the guy who... Um, slashed the tires? Slashed the tires of his boss. That was Jorge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after Borges. Bo- after, yeah, Borges. Maybe? Yeah. So the story behind Jorge... Yeah is that basically he was in a shitty job, right? Mm-hmm. In a very stressful job. Yeah. And then one day he decided he was going to slash the tires so of his boss's car. It's basically the story of the Joker all over again. Yeah, right? And then he he did that, but didn't get found out about it. Like, mm-hmm. No one knew it was him. And he was in this sort of ethical quandary as to whether to tell his wife about it. He's like, what? Why? how did I do that? that? Was that part of me that really... Yeah, his question was, what does that say about me? Yeah. Was that me or is that an intrinsic feature of myself or is that just something that I did? Right, so what he does is essentially he pays to try to find some of these prisms yeah. that have been activated well before this time yeah. to see how many of Hims. hims, how many of his parasols yeah. slash the tires. Yeah. And he eventually finds out that no, none of the other parasols he surveyed slashed the tires. So it was only him in this. He was the only one that slashed the tires. Yeah. So I think he concludes from that that it wasn't an intrinsic feature of him. That's right. Because most of him's wouldn't do it. All things being equal. So he satisfies himself and says, "Look, it was just an aberration of character. Yeah. Right? It wasn't me. Yeah. That was just okay. I know that I'm good, and all of the others yeah. didn't do it. So why do you like this one in particular? What's, what's your like? <laughs> well, what I liked firstly. It, it does what we all do just without a prism, which is we establish some post hoc analysis or excuse for what we do in our daily life anyway, right? So do you, you, don't, you do things because they, you're the, a victim of circumstance, not because it was how you behave or what you do. I've never done that before. Therefore, you can't judge me based on that, right? Yeah. I've never hit a woman before. That's right. Yeah, therefore, so I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not abusive, the kind of guy that does that. I'm not an abusive guy. Once, yeah. I've only ever done it once. That's, so that's not me, right? Yeah. And all the, all the prism does, it gives you more use to pull to come up with that analysis, that, right? It's, it's like this metaphor for us just examining our lives and determining that are we what we do? Is it, is it as simple as that? If we haven't done something before, are we not people who do those things? Is that not in us? Other than, other than, or do you just have to look at it and go, if it happens once, that's enough to say. Is, is, it a, is it a situation where all it has to happen is once? There's a great You've t- only got to kill someone once to be a murderer. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And there's a great Tism line, which yeah. is an Australian, love cult Australian band. Yeah. Um, I might not be a homosexual, but I've slept with a guy who's one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, so I love that because it doesn't really... This guy was going through this, this very complicated process of, of pulling all of his paracelves. It doesn't, that doesn't do anything more than just auditing a single self yeah. in your life. You know, so it just added a degree of complexity to what is a, a situation that we all use every single day, just sort of dissected and kind of, you know, extrapolated a little bit. But so I, I really love that because I thought it was just so true and so interesting. Yeah. No, that was good. Yeah. Um, I want to just take it back just a little bit because yeah. I want to just, instead of going through the, the plot and all the characters, yeah. I want to just talk about some of the themes and pose these questions to you sure. because would you, do you think you would, if you had the chance utilize a prism to find out what was going on in your life. So say, for example, you're, you're a orthopedic surgeon. Sure. And there was a point at which you were thinking, maybe I could just be a, do my design thing, right? Yeah. And I might or just f- be a podcaster. Or just be a podcaster, Pick right? up on podcasting 10 years ago. But let's talk about your design work because you sure. do a lot of design work as sure. well. Yeah. Would you want to know if you found out there was a prism where you just flicked your orthopedic your life as a surgeon and you went down the design route. Yeah. Would you want to know how successful your design parasolf would be? I using the, um, the polling option. So I'm not actually splitting. I'm looking at the different me's that have already made choices mm. and try and nut down a couple of choices I'd made and try and get answers, but whether they're better or not and use that to inform future choices. I think that's how I would like to use it. Cause I want to pick smaller things that had less massive consequence and then prevent me from making bigger mistakes. And I wouldn't want to know about the big stuff. So for, the, for me, there's still a golden window 
where you can use it as a tool and not kind of as a crutch or as a window for regret. Mm. Um, happy with that answer? Yeah, I'm happy with that. Well, the book also, also talks about other potential uses of this technology, which I find quite fun. Yeah. In that, okay, you, you can't sort of go into the future. So you can't, you know, use it to bet on things or yeah. whatever, right? You can't back to the future. You can't get Gray Sports Almanac. No, but what it does do is it allows for greater data collection. Yeah. So I can find out so much more rich data if I can talk to my Parasol that mm. it's branched off 10 years ago about various other companies and or whatever. Or yeah. Sports data. Yeah. Imagine all the sports data you can get if you're not only looking at the 30 NBA teams in this branch, but you're also looking at all the other branches and stuff as well, right? Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and you can certainly run twin studies. With any any person, right? So you can have, and not just yeah. twins, you can have five, Ooh. seven, ten, a hundred of the same person. I love the idea of doing like a random control trial across yeah. the parallel universes, right? Yeah. So suddenly you have the best possible kind of homogenous genetic group of people. Yeah. They also talk about the concerns around privacy, not privacy, what am I talking about? Um, yeah, piracy, not privacy, piracy. Yeah, yeah right? piracy is interesting, right? So if you if there's a band that you really like, right? Yeah. You can check them out in an alternate universe and they've probably <clears throat> made the same song or a similar one. Well, the key is made similar songs. Yeah. So you can take the similar songs in your own branch yeah. and pass is- them off as your own. Yeah. And so the, the author makes a really great point, which is like authors are competing with pirated versions of stories they might have written. Yeah. Which is it's really so great. good. Yeah. Like, and the, the other thing too, there's a branch where we have a much better podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's possible. There's another point they make about celebrity culture as well, because people are so interested in celebrities, and they're also interested in celebrities from other branches. That's right, but but also the stories from the same celebrities in other branches, yeah. which which says something about the way we treat celebrities as just some kind of story, well, like a narrative. We don't care that it's true, exactly. or whatever, because it's not even true in your universe. But it becomes just a story. It could be it's about anyone, right? It's it's disembodied from its meaning yeah oh no dude like he covered all the bases it's really amazing um yeah anyway um i wanted to draw an analogy to from this to statistics yeah because if there's anyone here that that studies statistics or they've come here from my z statistics website or whatever right i'm a statistician Mm -hmm. there's something that we do in statistics which is very much like this sort of multiverse that we've been talking about throughout this episode right yeah when you take a sample of something, you take a, a, a sample mean and create something called a confidence interval. Mm-hmm. What that is, let me just try to break it down. You're trying to assess maybe the height of women in university or something like that, right? And you might take a sample of, say, your class of 10 people or 15 yeah. people. And you find this thing called a sample mean, right? Now, what we do is we can create a confidence interval. And we say, all right, we only have a sample of 15 people. So, say the average height in the class was 160 four centimeters right we know that that's not the real average the true average height of women on campus because we only have a small subset right so we construct this thing called a confidence interval and the size of that confidence interval is determined by a few factors but we might say that we're 95 percent confident that the true population lies between lies between particular values right yeah maybe it's 160 to 168 centimeters right I follow, I follow. You follow me. You're looking like I'm an idiot. The true interpretation of that confidence interval relates to the multiverse. Sure. In a way. Because we basically say, if this experiment was run... Enough times. A hundred times. Yeah. 95 of these sample means would lie between these two points. Yeah. So the implication there is that like, if we were in this world and we had all these like paracels in a hundred different parallel worlds. Yeah. 95% of them of the sample means would lie between these two points mm-hmm. which i find quite interesting the idea that i mean it's not technically re- you know referencing the multiverse but there's this kind of insinuation in all of statistics which is when you get a value and you create some kind of uncertainty around it you say that there are these theoretical other worlds where we took the same statistic and it's, and it's something else and here's the distribution of those theoretical other worlds yeah around perhaps our worlds our branches sample value Interesting. So you're saying that in stats, you're constantly referencing the multiverse. 100%. Yeah. It's always about the multiverse. We teach that in the first lesson of our stats courses. Which oh, is, really? We, we should, well, I should, no, we don't. <laughs> you should watch Spider-Man into the multiverse. <laughs> yeah. It's quite good. Very good. Yeah. Dude, I love it. It was such a good read. 
Yeah. I'm going to read the rest of Ted Chang the same way. <laughs> Did you get into Borges after the... Um, you'll find it as good. It's right up there. I think we've kind of covered a lot. I was trying to think of other things we wanted to talk about. Um, well, if you want to talk about any more, you'll have to ring up my, uh, my parasol because <laughs> I think I'm spoken out. Okay, one, one more thing I, w- I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, if one of the companies offers for you to visit one of your parasols that's doing incredibly well or incredibly badly, which one would you choose? If you want to see like the down and out Justin Bobbin, as down and out as you could possibly get. I don't want to see that at all. No? No. No. Because you know why? If you have siblings or any family, I think kin theory applies even more so to yourself than to a family member, right? Yeah. So if you see a member of your family who's down and out, you don't want to see that, right? No, no, no part of you wins from seeing that, right? No, no, no. You'd rather see someone who's not related to you at all, down and out. That idea of of relishing someone's downfall, well, and, no, it's but, but, but feeling better about yourself and the choices you've made works better for people who are more remote to you mm. rather than people who are closer to you. The mm. more proximate you get, I think the more real it gets and the less satisfaction you can draw from it. So if I saw a brother down and out, I'd be quite distressed about that. If I saw myself down and out, I don't think I'd feel very good about anything at all. Mm. I, I don't, I think the, the sum of it would be, would be depression. Um, and then if you, look, if you look at the corollary, which is the seeing a successful version of myself, it could be motivating that I can attain something. I have the ability to make choices that can get me somewhere. Maybe not, maybe not that choice, but there could still be choices. I, I have the ability to perform and do whatever it takes to get somewhere. So maybe I'd want to see that if I saw any of the two, but I find that also quite maybe depressing as well. So yeah. again, maybe that's why it's neither. Well, I'm steering. I'm steering well clear of the prisms. I think. I, I don't think you'd cope. I don't think you're. The, I, I, I don't think you're a prism prisms, personality. Prisms Anonymous group. I'd be straight there. You'd be like pre pre prisms Anonymous people yeah. who are like already in support group for not having used a prism. What? Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd be like. Although I'd be using some of like the like original prism technology. Like even when it gets better, <laughs> I'd be using like the the, the dumb phone equivalent. <laughs> you this one is like yeah. <laughs> this one has a rotary dialer. <laughs> Morse code. Yeah. And only like four characters of Morse code. <laughs> you know, you, I use it for like really benign things. I think to keep it simple for myself, like meals. Like which pizza should I have chosen or should I have gotten the steak? Yeah, but that's the thing. That, that might be the instigator of you using the prism. Yeah. But then you've got this parallel version of you. Where it's like traveling shit, away Just by you. choosing that steak. That would be... I put enough pressure on myself as it is for choosing food at yeah. restaurants. If I found out that like not only was that steak not very good, but it also caused the complete downfall of the rest of my life, <laughs> I mean, how could I ever order something again? You couldn't. You're done. No, right? You're done. You're fried. So I, there's no benefit to that. No. No. And I think, look, it's way way too charged, man. The way the book goes, it kind of describes a world where this is a bit of a plague rather than something. It doesn't really describe many instances. It's not, where it's it's not a panacea used. for anything. No, it's actually right? more negative about this yeah. prism fascination than anything mm. else but if you do read it the the there is a beautiful little tie-in with a couple of characters which is it's quite lovely where one of the characters basically imports too much emphasis on the things that happens in her life in terms yeah. of blames herself for a lot of things mm. one of the other characters doesn't blame herself at all for anything that she's done and mm. they actually come into contact at the end and there's this really beautiful moment where they where they switch in a very nice little way mm. Um, but if we can just finish on this, one of that story actually ties in this element, the, the Nat story. We're not going to talk about the characters, but the Nat was that character who didn't really take much responsibility for things. Yeah. And then at the end, she gets persuaded by this. Um, I can't remember who. who she drives her. the plot along really. Her she does. But there's this groove in the brain hypothesis that I don't think we've talked about yet. No. Nope. Your actions aren't necessarily the result of some kind of pre-action setting in your brain and your behavioral setting. Mm -hmm. They might actually be the cause of who you are. Like, is who you are, does it come before or after your actions, right? Mm -hmm. And what she gets convinced by is that if you start doing good things, you will become a good person in that not only do you get the benefit, quote unquote, of the good things, but you become more likely to do good things in the future, creating a sort of groove in your brain around goodness yeah. that you can keep sort of grooving into. Yeah. So I think this is really great moral to that story in that you can define who you are in a way 
by actually doing what you want to do. In, independent of what you would do and what other versions of you have done yeah. in the past. The, the corollary to that would be to blame who you are for your actions. This is, yeah. no, I actually am creating myself by my actions. Yeah. And if there's a personal anecdote I can offer, mm. there was this one moment in my life which was dealing with a, uh, a girl that was, I was in a relationship with and I realized it wasn't. Well, part of me, part of me realized it wasn't really the right thing. And the other part was like, there's this huge inner turmoil, right? And there was one moment where I just said it. I just said, we're done. It came out of, I'm like, part of my brain was like, am I, gonna, am I actually going to say this? I don't know if I feel this is true. And as soon as I said it, I was like, no, I'm that, that's I'm that right. person. It came out and it just felt like those, the sound of my voice was true and the sound of my voice made sense. Your aim and was true. I, I swear I became, that became my truth as soon as it came out of my mouth. And I realized that that was the correct decision to make. But I think if I was really analyzing my brain process before that, it was a red and blue situation. It was yeah. like a, I could have used a prism at that point gone. Do you think it's me. kind of like how if you start, if, if you wear leather pants once, you become a man that wears leather pants? <laughs> well, there are certain things that you can't come back from. No, leather think, pants is one of them. I think that's one of those things, right? That you, you just, all you got to do is put yeah. them on one time and you become that guy forever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's another good question. What what are things you can only do once before you're defined as that? Yeah. <laughs> murder, leather pants. <laughs> yeah, you don't come back from murder. No, no. no. <laughs> All right. Gossip okay. Girl? You don't come back from watching Gossip Girl once. Damn Croc Mollick's got a lot to come back from. I know. <laughs> He's got a lot of skeletons in that closet. Well, I think we might end on that. That's been our um, cover version yeah. of Very Bad Wizards. Like a version. Like a, like a version. Yeah. Yeah. Like a pod. The thing is, we hate covers for the most part. Yeah. Well, look, whatever. As long as they're different, then we like them, right? Yeah. You got to bring something new to the table. Well, that's been Very Bad, Very Bad Wizards. We're not, in fact, Very Bad Wizards. We're Jeremy Zion. If you want to uh, keep in touch, jeremyzion.com. As we said, we do animations. We do a lot of other things. We make music, as it turns out, as well. Um, And surfboards. And we make surfboards? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what else? You, you make, we're, you make we're, like we're surfboard shapers in our spare time. Yep, we, I do the shaping, you do the fiberglassing. That's also what we do. That's right. We make forgeries of high-end art as well. Sometimes. <laughs> I'm not going to let, let on with that. <laughs> That's hearsay and speculation. Hearsay and speculation. Yeah. My lawyer, <laughs> we'll be hearing from my lawyer, by the way. I know who that lawyer is. We know we know all of his secrets. Gossip girl and the like. Yeah. That's been Jeremy. I've got, I've got the worst Thanks. fucking lawyer. <laughs> Thanks for entertaining us on this this yeah. uh, little Halloween episode. Thanks, guys. It's been good. Like, uh, like, like, uh, So, look, before, before we actually begin, I do want to do a bit of a shout out mm-hmm. before we take on the, uh, the voices of Dave and Tamla. While we're still Justin and Justin from Jeremy's Iron, I want to take on, uh, oh, well, I want to give a shout out to some people that have written in from around the world. We're getting some people, uh, some people have written in saying they enjoy the show. So, um, shout outs to Jitty from... Some have written in saying they don't like the show. Yeah, well, no, haven't had any <laughs> no. of those yet. But Jitty from India, I want to give a big shout out to Jitty. Also to a few people who have written in from Berlin before as well. We've, so there's some people in Berlin, people in India. I had someone from Afghanistan write in. No shit. So Really? Yep. We're big in Afghanistan? I wouldn't say we're big, but we have at least we're one We're in Afghanistan. Listener. So we're in Afghanistan. So what I actually want to do mm-hmm. is I want to do a bit of a shout out to our listeners. I want to try to get a picture of where people are in the world listening to us. Mm-hmm. So just send us an email at jeremysironpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll come and find you. Well, yeah, we'll come Promise. and find you. Oh, if you want to give us a message, please do so. Yeah. Kind of want to see where we're at because... And we'll come see you. And we'll, and we'll come see you. <laughs> um, but if you've got any uh, particular science quandaries that mm-hmm. you want us to investigate, we're happy to do it. And this applies to or anyone Or if you listening. disagree with us. Yeah. For yeah. example, can I mention something quickly? Please. This is in the feedback kind of context. Remember the Wim Hof episode? Oh yeah. Well, we didn't do a Wim Hof episode. Well, we're gonna do. We're hopefully gonna do a Wim Hof episode. This, that was just a small thing. Okay, you know, the Wim Hof segment we did. Yeah. Um, so we did the animation. Yep. Which went online to YouTube. So yep. 
you guys those people that don't know we do animations yeah we do animations and they're on youtube jeremyzion.com thank you um and we got some comments right and the funny most of the comments were like good video but you should really be more open-minded to Wim Hof and his methods. Yeah. All these people who are totally in the pocket of Wim Hof. Well, I wouldn't say in the pocket, but definitely Wim Hofers. Wim Hofers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? And they all read exactly the same, which was, you need to look at the research. It's overwhelming. They've hooked him up to electrodes, and you know it's irrefutable that his stuff... And tons Hundreds of, of thousands of people. people yeah, yeah. Practice his method to good results and all this kind of stuff. And one person wrote, the whole point is it can be used by anyone and it works. And I'm not, I don't usually write back. I'm not on Twitter and stuff, but I did write back a couple of days ago to one of these guys because I said, I, I had enough, man. All these people tell me to find the research. That's the whole point. We did the research. There is no research out there that supports it. It yeah. just isn't there. Yeah. So if someone could please, if you're listening and you disagree with what we said, please show us the good data that shows that Wim Hof does anything because in a particular response to the one person or who said the whole point is that it works for everyone um that's exactly what that study with his twin disproved that's right yeah. right yeah exactly that if it's going to work for if it if it can work, if it can work for anyone then it there should, should definitely be... work for his twin who doesn't do his stuff and also if it, if it's meant to work for everyone there should be studies easily able yeah. to be to show that it's true yeah. right like yeah. it's not difficult to show that someone's health has improved post and afterwards but see look I, I think there's something to be said and this is something we can talk about at a, mm. at a later date something to be said about the potential for this placebo effect slash also just the idea that getting into a cold environment gets you out of your head right yeah like you can put this on the line of like any kind of practice that relax well this one's not really relaxing but gets you out of internal monologue. <clears throat> but these are placebo claims. Sure. Now. Okay. Let's hold, let's hold this one over. I'm going to say we're going to definitely do mm -hmm. a, a Wim Hof episode dedicated to Wim Hof because we haven't dealt with it to the extent that we want to. Nope. And we need to do a bit of a reply to the... It's on the list. ...the yaysayers around um, Wim Hofery. Yeah, but we, so we do. Yeah, we need a bit more feedback from you guys. Yeah. If you do support it, maybe our methodology looking into Wim Hof was wrong. Did we miss something? Is there... Good data out there that we're not yeah, seeing. Give us, yeah, give us some papers. That, we're that, open to it. Yeah, definitely. You know? Oh, absolutely. Because look, hundreds of thousands of people. He's Dutch. I don't want him to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like the guy. 